Hey guys, welcome back to the Hole in One Golf Podcast. I'm your host, Jack Paul. I would really like to thank you all very much for listening and also say a huge thank you to everyone who has reached out on social media. It's great to hear from everyone and it's really, really helped share some great stories. Please do reach out. Um, it's great to hear from you. In this episode, I'm joined by Hilary Bennett from Ground Your Game over in Canada. After playing junior and college golf and competing in other sports, Hilary joined the corporate world but later decided her true calling was to become a full-time coach. Hillary trains a variety of golfers and other athletes from all ages, right up to professionals. Hillary explains how she first works with the athletes to share their goals, and then they work on improving resilience. Hillary coaches athletes to stay present and in the moment and provides visualization, breathing, and meditation techniques to improve each player's mental game and also overcome mental blocks. Hillary asks players to detach from the outcome and works on different brain states. She also encourages students to keep a daily journal. Please reach out and follow and connect with Hillary on Instagram at Ground Your Game. Hi, Hillary. How's it going? Good. How are you? Very good. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for talking to me. Yes, of course. So, where, whereabouts are you at the moment? I am in cottage country in Ontario, Canada. Wow, cool! I'm in Canada. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm I'm in New Zealand, so it's a little bit around the other side of the world, but yeah, warmer. And you're you're uh, up a lot earlier. Yeah, so I start the day here. Yeah, and it's it, like you said, it's a little bit warmer. What what's the temperature like over your way then? I we are just above zero uh, Celsius right now. Wow, are you, have you got lots of snow and ice and stuff then? And, we just, you know, it just came back. Um, it, we had, we got a big, uh, we got a lot of snow last week, and then it kind of melted away, and oh, then I we know. got a little bit more like winter wonderland snow, and it's not like sub-zero temps, so it's nice as long as you're bundled. But it's uh, something I've been acclimatized for a long time, so it's long it's time. Nice. So what, I like I mean, this temperature of winter. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, not because it gets a lot colder there, doesn't it? Oh yeah. It'll be like minus 20 and you know, and minus, you know, minus 20 has been the norm. That'll be like January and you know, early February. So. Wow. I mean, what does that do for your kind of, um, you know, your sports activities and exercise and golf and stuff? Yeah. Well, I, at that point, um, I'm at my parents right now, but I might be on the West coast at the end of the month again. That's uh, where my spouse and I live at the moment. And, but we, I've been here just dealing with a few things. And um, so if we're here, what we would be doing is a lot of indoor stuff. (laughs) And this would be like before COVID, there'd be a lot of, a lot more uh, opportunity to get into golf simulators. So that would be, or, you know, we do snowshoeing, skiing, snowboarding, you know, the classic winter sports, um, cross country skiing or you know you might go snowmobiling or tobogganing and things like that but if you're talking golf it's definitely uh indoor unless you're crazy like me and every once in a while you put the net up and go yeah. and smash it up. <laughs> oh that's cool i mean yeah sorry I, I know there's a lot of winter sports there isn't it but um yeah i guess golf it's more of an indoor thing so yeah cool yeah. so i mean can you just tell me like more like kind of what you do and and like your background and, and all that kind of stuff please? yeah sure Yep. So I am a certified health coach and a certified personal trainer. I went through to school. I have a bachelor's degree in health science and I 
played a lot of sports my whole life. Um, I actually took a post-secondary education in human resources management because I was good at managing people. So I really liked organizational development. So all of that ended up bringing me to where I am today as a coach. But it was... um, it's been a really interesting ride because I started in business. I, I was in sales for uh, human resources. So you, I would do like tenor awards and, and things that recognition for companies. And we would provide the reward and recognition services to companies. So I worked closely with big high management and I wasn't in golf at all. <laughs> and then I started, I started to realize my job was not fulfilling anymore. Like I like managing yep. people, but I was just selling things that, yes, it's great that you're with your company for so long, but it didn't feel like I was doing exactly what I was meant to do. So I went back to school in 2015 and got a fitness leadership uh, post-secondary certificate. I ended up getting recognized in that program from the governing body that actually certifies me, the CPTN. Uh, their fitness leadership awards. So it sort of verified that, oh, I'm maybe better on the right track here. I'm using my leadership skills a little bit better. So that was really a great surprise. And it humbled me, but it made me feel really good that I made the right call by leaving my job (laughs) and starting (laughs) a career again. And then I started to work in personal training at a level of general uh, population and paramedics. Uh, It was primarily student paramedics that were needing to know how to overcome their mind and emotions as well as be able to lift heavy weight. And I worked primarily with women. Uh, A lot of the men did their own thing or they had their own training regimes. But so a lot of the girls that I saw uh, in that program um, really opened my eyes and challenged me to expand the way I was training because it wasn't just about what they were lifting. It's about what they were thinking before they were lifting. So, you know, I got an understanding, a little bit, really great experience, and it started to slowly get me back into athletics again. I work closely with the high performance teams there uh, and at Sheridan. So Humber is where I, college is where I do most of my personal training and train those paramedics. But I went to school at Sheridan College for that fitness leadership. And at that location, I had a great experience, a volunteer experience with junior elite programs. And I learned a lot in their high performance as well so I got soccer players I got uh, football players I got track athletes you know so it was great and I didn't have many golfers at this point but I remembered that all of the things that I was starting to learn from a technical practical standpoint were a lot of the things that I did when I played golf myself as a kid and then also at university so it was um all-encompassing a very quick shift from 2015 into where I am today And I started in general athletics a few years ago, and I started taking on artistic athletes. So people like opera singers that are trained for high level nervous system, like nervous, um, nervous system control. And because, you know, your voice is going to say more, you know, we think our golf swing says a lot. You wait till you what your voice says. So I I started to. I realized that these people were athletes, dancers are athletes, figure skaters are athletes. And so I got this really great experience there. And from that, um, my mentors in that realm uh, started to really open my eyes to the fact that I could do this a little bit more seriously. And I picked golf because I have the most experience in golf and I love it so much. So I think it translates at all ages. So I really, I picked golf as my niche in May of this year, even though I had been working with golfers for a while. um, I just decided to stop doing general athletics and artistic athletes. And I'm bridged into golf full-time 
Oh, wow. So, I mean, like, do you, do you only have time to do golfers? Can you not just still help lots of different athletes or is it just you need you really need to work in that one niche day? Well, I was recommended by a marketing coach to yeah. stay stick with golf first and bring yeah. the brand of Ground Your Game into it. But I really, really enjoy working with all athletes. Yeah. So I'm sure. And I mean, I have people call me and I definitely when I have the opportunity to talk to somebody that's in those realms still, like figure skating coaches yeah, or senior yeah. coaches, I, I absolutely would take them on. Yeah, no, that, that all makes sense. Like, so what, what's kind of your background in golf? Like, you, know, you said you yes. played quite a bit growing up and can you just tell me a bit more about that? So my mom and dad introduced me to the game probably when I was about six or seven. Yeah. They put me in a golf camp when I was eight. I met some nice wow. people and some friends. And so we got to play. I mean, I grew up playing every sport possible. Uh, so I yeah. played I played boys baseball because I, you know, like, and, and, and I grew up in a, uh, with blessed with good coordination. So I, and my parents didn't say no to anything. I would have never known that it would have been maybe a struggle for them to put me in anything. I was a spoiled brat, just kidding, but (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, like everything. So golf came in early and golf was a bit more expensive, but I didn't recognize that at the time. So it was, it was a little bit, um, it was a little bit um, harder for me to be out as much as I'd want to be, but uh, it was slow starting. Then as we got older, we got memberships at a local course here uh, as a family and we started to play just, you know, for fun. Um, I met a lot more boys than girls. I don't think I played with a single girl other than my sister and my mom for a long time. So there's a, you know, I was competing with um, young men uh, in the junior tournaments and things and, until I got mid mid age, but I, I left it behind because I was a competitive uh, volleyball player. So okay. I, my focus shifted for that first little while yeah. uh, of my teens. However, when I went to school, I was in the university for two years and I played no sports and I started to feel my mental health was going down. Yeah. I was um, doing the, I'm going to be a drinker and a procrastinator and a, and I'm going to be social and that's cooler yeah. than <laughs> sticking to goals. What are goals, you know? And so I noticed that I kind of went downhill a little bit there um, and needed to realize what was missing and it was yeah. sport. So crazy me hadn't played golf in a long time. I said, hell, why not try out for the golf team? And after two so, years, you hadn't played for two years, and then you just yeah, I hadn't played out. actually, and I would have said maybe even three years I hadn't played wow. that much golf. You know, very casual yeah. golf, like ten rounds in two years of you know eighteen holes, let's say, <laughs> kind of thing. And I, my dad thought, you know what, Hillary, you haven't had strategy coaching, so you need some golf management. So he got me five lessons uh, with a local club member. And he was wonderful, actually. I I was so happy. He couldn't change much in in that time frame. We were just working on how are you going to strategize out there? And so from that experience, I learned a lot in how I I coach because of those were really unique to me, the way he was teaching me. We weren't in what I call left hemisphere training, scientific, analytical, how's your swing looking? What's your launch angle? What's the percentage of your smash factor? You know, blah, 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 blah. We go on and on and on. This was more, how do you feel? What are you, what are you going to do in these scenarios if you reach them? Uh, do you know the rules of the game and how to identify X, Y, and Z in yeah. your um, elements of the, you know, what's going on, not only in your body, but out in nature and your other competitors. So it was really great. And I tried out, 
played the worst round of my life the first day. The absolute worst round of my life. I shot 106. There, it's out in the public. <laughs> and and the whole team didn't expect to see me the next day. I was in tears. I was speaking to the coach about this isn't who I am, but my nerves were just shattered out there. You expect them to school then? Uh, I was expecting to, well, maybe my ego thought I was going to break 80, but I, I was expecting to shoot under under 90 and at least show that I can hit a ball and 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 make like a secondary team. I just wanted so to get it. If you haven't played in three years, then I don't know. It's probably going to take yeah, a bit exactly. longer than that. So yeah. Yeah, and when happened. I say I haven't played, it was very casual. I was not playing golf the way I was when I was a kid. It was yeah. it was a lot of just like, hey, you want to go out for a round? Sure, let's play. You know, or maybe catch a ladies' night league nine hole or something, right? So pretty casual. But my strength was up, and anyway, I went back the next day after I spent about an hour on the putting green after everybody left and the coach was actually coach Sue. She was amazing. She was actually really, she was a 71 year old scratch golfer. So I just felt like, wow, like this is amazing. Like, and I just, she was so kind and, and, and she was happy to see me the next day, next day shot an 84 made the team. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But it was funny that whole process of going through my ego falling apart my grandmother and my mom actually came to watch me and they were just like, Oh my gosh, she just made a terrible mistake to do this. But the learning curve was my mom even said to me, she's like, Hillary, it's in the past. There's nothing you can do about that anymore. And I use that a lot, even in my coaching today. It's a lot of the mantra that we use is you golf. You need to have such a short memory, but yet long-term memory of experiences. And, but you have to have such a quick short-term memory turnover in the moment with long-term understanding. And so I went out, I played better. I got to play the first uh, tournament of the year. I finished third at that tournament. It was like sleet. We play in September and in Ontario in September, it can be like beautiful or it can be like pretty, pretty gross, like pretty cold, pretty wet, pretty rainy. And it was pretty gross. And so I finished third in the tournament and our team finished first. So it was a really great boost and yeah, Sue was the reason because she believed in me and said, Oh, if you can come here and do that, well then you can play in the first tournament and let's see what your pressure cooker looks like there. And so, and it, and it, she, because she believed in me, it created more belief in myself. And I, we were like, we'd be D2 in the NCAA. Like it was nothing crazy what I played, but my understanding of competition was, um, very much developed in that two years that I played. I got a lot of experience from them. So yeah, I, was, I was about a six was. handicap by the time I was done those two years when I was playing. Oh, cool. Oh, that's awesome. That's definitely, yeah, I can definitely relate to that. Like the confidence and all that kind of thing and trying to forget your bad rounds. But yeah, it's easier, easier said than done, I guess, isn't it? For a lot of people, yes. Like. I had 12 hours to get over it in the first that was my first talk about a tutorial a fast track tutorial <laughs> so i mean like who so can you tell me more about like who, who you help and and how you help them and you know in the right now yeah. kind of in the present day <laughs> yeah so how fast forward to now yeah so we have uh an array i have an array of different athletes so yeah. a lot of i have a couple kids that are elite that are under 10 that are awesome. I have some beginners that just want to know, like some of the questions that a beginner will speak to me about are a lot different. Um, 
than what maybe an amateur is trying to commit to to make their D1 teams or become yeah. a pro. So I have an array of athletes. Uh, the, the most I have experience in is a pro-am person. However, I do have a couple calls next week with some people on the European tour, which is exciting. That's oh, that's awesome. awesome. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I've been working with a couple different levels and it's interesting to work with kids that are elite kids that are working really hard at their game. Um, that's a really, that's fun to watch. And their, their idea, it's so simple for them to understand mindset. As long as their parents aren't projecting onto them, they yeah, are it's up, yeah, resilient. Habits. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and also, or just instilling their own fear into them. They yeah. don't even know they're doing it. So it's a different approach than what I do with people that are amateurs that kind of have had to take the responsibility of their performance on themselves. And if they haven't, I am the coach that will be instilling that pretty quickly yep. in them. So it's like really young kids. So kids as young as 10 or? Yeah. So nine was the youngest I've had. And I've had people as old as, uh, as old as 60 at this point. So. That's not that old. <laughs> no. And I, that, I would say it's not old at all. Not <laughs> at all. No. There's a huge spectrum there. I mean, like 50 years. Yeah. That's, that's quite a large spectrum there. Now that's really interesting. Like, so, and are you talking to people like all around the world for your health then? Or mainly Canada or? Yeah. So I've had yeah. people in Belgium and Switzerland in the UK. I've spoken to some people in Canada, uh, lots of people in the US. Yeah. Um, I have spoken to a few people in the, uh, you know, in the Asian tour market, uh, but not coaching them. But, you know, I do get a good response out of them as well. Cool. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like, how do you, how do you sort of like, how, how does a normal kind of session go? Like, what do you go through? How do you help them? And- yeah, so I first want to understand what it is that they find they their goals are in golf. I want them to, you know, verbalize what they think their goals are and 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 how much they really believe in those goals. And if they don't have that, I also ask them, why did you hire me? Like what or why did you book this consult? What do you, what did you feel about what did you need? Like when I say I don't say why do you hire me, but why why are you here with me? Why do you think I can help you? What what resonated with you from my social media platforms? And we talk about their limiting beliefs. So we start to identify things like, is this a nervous system issue? Uh, Do you just need breathing technique help? Uh, Do we assess your practice range facility work versus how you perform on the golf course and how you translate what you practice onto your performance? I have to identify with them if they're competitors. Now you're a lot, I think you're, everyone's a competitor. Um, but, you know, are they playing golf for fun or are they playing golf for for a little for fun, but on a competitive level where they're yep. looking to take this to the next level? So we we assess their fitness training. We assess their mental resilience. And when I say we, I'm talking me, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> together, them, together, we, yeah, yeah, we yeah, go yeah, through yeah. that and we we try to look for where we are trying to identify what's holding them back. So what I'm looking for is how much of their practice and their performance has the left hemisphere of the brain integrated. That's that logical, analytical, scientific brain with the right hemisphere of the brain. And I'm realizing I'm a mirror right now. So left and right (laughs) rather than left and right. (laughs) They, they are, they are, I want them to practice both. I want them to have activation of both. And so the questions I ask them help me understand without them even really noticing what I'm doing, 
is what part of their game, how they speak to me tells me what side of the brain they operate out of more frequently. So I'll give them breathing techniques to activate both sides of the brain. I'll give them meditation and visualization techniques. I also assess their fitness regime, but from a foundational level. So I don't want to be a swing coach. I don't want to yes. be don't want to be a heavy lifting elite coach anymore uh, in a fitness set setting unless I'm in person with them. So I focus on foundational things, posture, core, and stable feet on the floor and, and how we take the body. I, what I give them are tools that they could take on tour. They could take their five things that I give them and the equipment, and it would, wouldn't even add a pound in their bag and they can go and really create functional movements in the kinetic chain. So from a physical standpoint, I stick to the basics and they're so important. They're, they, they create everything else. I leave the other stuff to the people like the strength and conditioning coaches. I, I leave the heavy lifting to them yeah. from a mental perspective is where I do my heavy lifting. I, I want to really get into how somebody feels on the first tee or how they feel over the putter, what their approach is from tee to green, things like that. Well, that's just really interesting. Like, so, I mean, and how, how have you sort of helped people? Like, have you, have they said, you know, it's made a big difference or are they still, is it kind of like a long journey to improve that side of your game, you know, like years and stuff? It can be both. Right. I've had people with fast results and I've had people that haven't had mm -hmm. as fast results. And it is a process that requires full belief and buy-in that it works, yeah. you know, in what you're doing. Our conscious mind tells us it knows everything and our <laughs> subconscious mind it operates for us most of the time and so I really want people to understand that a lot of their stuff that they are their habits are coming from are unconscious and so we have to be able to discover them and bring them to the surface so if people can't my job is to get you to trust me and so that you can speak to me about those things and so if people don't necessarily open up fully to me I can only help them so far most people are great. I've had people that finished like my little a couple kids under 10. They finished this year. It's only their second year season. They finished second in their yeah. world tour events wow. and That's like rock good. stars. And and they <laughs> have a lot of different coaches. It's not just coming from yeah, me, yeah, but yeah. they're their own person, but they're doing great. And I've had a recent person who is going to try out, hopefully for the Paralympic team, a recent amputee like December of 2019. He is playing the golf that he was playing when he was 20 now. And he didn't think that That's that journey cool. was going to happen. And so he's been working really, really diligently at his mindset, part of his game yeah. and his perception on different aspects of the course. And he's already a rock star. He can smash the ball. So it was just more about how can he come overcome some emotional or mental blocks. And he's playing some of the best golf he's ever played. So that's incredible. I mean, I must must uh, must feel really good, you know, when you see those results. Certainly, um, yeah. What kind of examples when you say subconscious mind and thoughts? Like what? I mean, I, I don't know what that would be. Can you give me some yeah. like examples? Yeah. So, from a perspective of golf, what happens is we need you to get into a brainwave frequency that is. So, when we're talking consciously to each other, we're in a beta state. Uh, a lot of times we can go into an alpha state, which is a slight trance. It's it's yeah. a different frequency and it's okay. So a lot of our devices put us in that uh, trance. If you actually look at Google <laughs> patents, <laughs> but it's, it's good to be able to do that without the dopamine hit of your electronics. So I teach people how to breathe into these different states of mind. So it goes beta, 
alpha, theta, delta. And so theta is where hypnotherapists work. Okay. Uh, and, and, it's, and, and delta is when we're asleep. So theta is when you are, and in our REM cycles, you come in and out of delta and theta a lot, come into a little bit of alpha and back down. And so what I'm working on is getting people to a place of total relaxation with me and then how to teach them how to do it apart and then allow that inner voice that comes forward that speaks to them. That is not always the conscious mind. It's sort of that thought that, you know, oh, I had that little voice tell me not to do that. And I did it anyway. And it was right. And, and, and it slows down our body just enough that you can access the inner knowing that you have and the real in a in a parasympathetic state rather than a sympathetic state. So sympathetic being fight or flight and parasympathetic state being rest and digest. So that's where the body does the best deep work. That's where you do the best healing. It's where the nervous system is chill. And so what we're trying to do to access that is we take them through breathing. I take them through slight hypnosis. I have level one hypnosis. So we can go through some techniques that they can use. And the idea is that we get to that place and it opens up a little less of their ego mind as well. And so what I'm saying about that is that the ego mind is the one that really gets angry at ourselves or really nervous on the first tee. Like it's the one that really is expecting more out of us. So the subconscious is where we find that magic zone of detachment from outcome where non-judgment is exists. And, and that can be really annoying sometimes to access it. And I've had it myself, you know, like it's not the simplest thing at times because our body is so geared to get up and go. And so this process takes a little bit of time and practice, but I implement a daily routine of it for my golf athletes and any athlete really. Right. So you got, you, you have been following like a daily routine. Yes. Yeah. And journaling is really important as well. So I need them to buy into a, you know, eight to 20 minutes a day of focusing on these types of tasks. Mm -hmm. Eight to 10 minutes. That's not too bad, is it? No, but you know, it's, it's the consistency, Consistency, a lot of them. uh, Yeah. Yeah. And you know, if they can do it for an hour and they get good at their visualization techniques, then we take them into an, to that next level. But the basic journaling of gratitude, you know, so I want them to be recalling things that are joyous for them, happy contentment, and that allows the brain to get into that alpha state. And then it will eventually drop into that theta pretty, uh, pretty quickly as they practice this. So we do a breath work, I'll give you an example of a breathing technique that we use to do this. So in a first call, let's say I'll ask them at the end to do a little breathing with me. So we time how long they can slowly inhale a breath. And then they hold that breath inside with no tension in the body as best as they can for the equal amount of time they inhaled. And then we exhale for the exact amount of time as well. And the idea, a lot of yogis use this, a lot of uh, Buddhist practice use this, a lot of, um, a lot of psychologists use this as well. And it's the idea is we're getting the nervous system to settle and, and then that allows the brain to settle and, and it calms us and we go down in a little bit slower, more relaxed states, and it allows us to think more clearly. And so the goal is that I get them to 20 seconds on an inhale, 20 seconds on an, on a holding the breath and 20 seconds on an exhale for an eight minute cycle. 
And that gives you better healing than some of the, some of the physical and emotional healing that you get out of being able to be disciplined in that is pretty miraculous. And I've witnessed a lot of people's transitions from it. They slow down their whole life and then it translates into their golf game. Got it. Like, so what, I mean, when they, when they go and play golf in their tournament or whatever, on the weekend, mm-hmm. something, I mean, like, are they just calmer or how does it help them? Yep. So they don't, they're not so quick to, because they're a little bit more detached from outcome. Mm. They know that the goal is, okay, we're tee to green here. We want greens and reg, but their ego doesn't jump in as quickly anymore. They're not so quick to be in fight or flight. They're, they're more in their parasympathetic state. So I asked them to do pre-shot routine work with it. We might integrate it into their practice, their pre-tournament prep, um, as well as pre-first tee prep. So for like a nine-year-old, it's like move around silly if that's what you want to do. Or, you know, but, or it's take those deep breathings and listen to the birds. And what are you smelling? We get into the five senses. What are you feeling? What are you hearing? What are, you know, what are you sensing in your environment? Um, this is people use this technique for anxiety attacks, panic attacks, yeah. but we're just translating it into athletics. And so a lot of the feedback that I get from my more competitive players is that when I stop and do this breathing before the next tee, if I have had a bad hole, it, if they believe that it works, the people that come back that have implemented it are like, Hillary, my mood, I've never had more fun on the golf course. I've never been more accepting of my scores and then all of a sudden I'm putting in more putts or I'm making more shots and so it's really nice to see when they buy in that it really really helps their nervous system stay even keel yeah I mean I know that like if someone has like a really bad hole they quite often it's hard to bounce back it's like sometimes they have another bad hole don't they because they're, they're still thinking about they're living in the you know the past of that that last bad hole and they can't get over it sort of thing Absolutely. And so these breathing techniques help to keep people present. And it's a grind out there. It, golf yeah. is a four and a half, five hour round of competitive golf for where you're hearing me whisper on your ear, stay in the present, stay in the present. And it's like, <laughs> oh my God, I want to backhand that. Like, you know, I can understand the knee jerk response of when we're just like fed up. And so the it really takes a, a total buy-in and and discipline in doing this type of work to stay chill on the golf course so with more the more of the kind of elite athletes and players that you've worked with um where, where do they kind of need to be so you were saying like detach the outcome from the situation yeah and, so um, as you get better like yeah yeah exactly so what happens is for elite athletes is like let's say for example they have a six foot putt and they know that they let's say when they played as a kid that six foot putt if they missed it it wasn't really a big deal but whereas now they said oh i've just been playing the best putting on the practice range so they have this subconscious unconscious expectation that they should be putting all of these in and and so when they're missing inside six feet it's they have this expectation that they should be putting those in and it weighs heavier on them I find I from my observation of the kids I work with where they're they expect to make those shots or that one foot putt that they lip out on really affects them for a long time more than someone that's a beginner player because they have this attachment to an outcome and they and the outcome is perfectionism and so it's hard to teach sometimes 
a player that I want you to care about what your outcomes are, but I want you to, to, to detach from yeah, it. That's, that's kind of yes. It is not an easy, it is not an easy thing for some people. Some people get it right away. And, and that's the right hemisphere coming in where you're more creative, you're more intuitive, you're more, um, I'm feeling my way through this and not so like I need to, because I'm a, because I'm a scratch golfer, this is what needs to go in. And the reason it's not going in is because I pushed it or I pulled it. And yeah, those things are real, but it's normally because when you get over the putter, you don't fully believe that you're going to put it in and it could be unconscious. And I have to help them decipher what they say on the golf course all day long to themselves and what they bring forward from their past. I want them to bring forward things that are positive. So for elite athletes, they can get really down on themselves really quickly. Like I'm shit. I'm never, excuse my language, but it is like, it comes out of them. Like they, they, I'm never going to make it. I I really, yeah. And and like, they feel like actually my nine-year-old elite, this one little girl was so wise. I said, what do you need to work on? She goes, you know, sometimes I just want to my club. And she like showed me bending her club and throwing it. She was, she goes, and I, and she goes, and I know that's wrong. And I was like, wow. And I said, if you're, if, if this is happening at that elite level at that young kid, first of all, she's going to be just fine because she's aware of it and she wants to remedy it. But it's a real feeling for them because they're like, I want to be the best. There's a lot of high stake pressure that I find creates that anger inside people. So their ability to move past something comes from their own self-judgment or the judgment they perceive is going to come onto them. And normally that's just in their head. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I do, I've played with quite a few angry people, but they just seem like pretty angry, like just generally. (laughs) Yeah. And so your life, the way you operate in life, I always say that the quality of your thoughts impact the quality of your golf shots. And I believe that when you're in a good mood, you play better golf. When Think about when you have maybe had a couple months off and you come back to the game and you're like, oh, I'm just going to go out there and hit some balls because I have no expectations. Yeah. Well, what happens? You normally play the best golf you play all year on those, on those, on those rounds of golf. And then you start to create the expectations. Oh, now this is what's going on. And then all of a sudden your game starts to fall and you're wondering what's changed and you're being too analytical and you're not focused on that feeling of, no, I'm just going to go out there a little bit more lackadaisical and enjoy myself. And so there's a happy balance between being competitive and understanding the science behind your swing. And, and there is a time and place for all of that. And then there's a place where you need to let it go. You need to be, know that you're, pre- you're prepared, you trust your game and you get out there and you play well. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Like, well, so, I mean, what, what kind of piece of advice would you give just generally? Um, would you say like, just have no expectations or would you say try and calm them, you know, calm them down a bit because that'll limit the pressure you're putting on yourself, you know, on, and kind of limit your ability to perform then, right? I guess if you, get to accepting the present moment as it comes total and full acceptance of yourself is what I would suggest and that can be that is a life lesson for all of us and expect your expectation and being able to identify that 
you can accept yourself for your imperfections on the golf course, just like you can in your life is very important to you playing better. Because if you're always expecting to be something other than what you currently are, you're operating out of a place of, I don't have enough. I am not enough. This isn't good enough. I'm not satisfying my life. And so if you can't get out of that state of mind, your golf game will only go so far and it will only translate into your life as well. So I would suggest that accepting your present moment for exactly what it is and detaching yourself from the outcome is the most important part of a golfer's regime that they don't necessarily focus on. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty tough thing to do, though, isn't it? Because every hole, you've got that, you've got to write down a score, haven't you? You're like, yep, yeah, I made a bogey or a double bogey or something like that. Um, of course. It's quite in front of you, isn't it? Like, um, Yes, and, and it, isn't, um, it isn't something to take away from. I'm not saying don't have goals and don't expect no. more out of yourself. That's definitely a totally different part of the coaching journey that I take them on. I'm speaking on a place of what's going to happen is going to happen that's out there. And we can analyze it after all day long about how many hours you didn't spend out there, how many hours you spent practicing and prepping. Um, but I just, my goal as a golf coach is that I want to ensure that their mental and emotional aspects of their game are aligned with their physical because yep. the mastery of all three will dictate how you perform. Oh, cool. I mean, like, how do you, how do you um, sort of translate this stuff in your own game, you know, in your own life? Um, I mean, do you just follow basically what you say or is it, do you find it a lot harder, you know, doing, following your intentions? Yeah. I, I have to, I have just the same struggles as everybody else. Yep. I think that's why I am a good coach is because I am somebody who is hyper aware that when I was on the golf course, I had an overextended ego. I had expectations that did not match my prep uh, yeah. in terms of mindset, emotion, physicality. I practice what I preach, but it doesn't mean that I don't struggle through this. This isn't um, for me. Um, I am not perfect at this. And so what I tend to do is when I'm falling off my own wagon, I write about it so that I can coach it. I, I take my own experiences. A lot of what I say on my social media platforms, it sounds like I'm speaking right to myself because these are things that I draw upon as my experiences of things I've needed to hear in the past. So the best golfers in the world are able to get over their challenging holes right away. They see it as yeah. fun. Let's use Tiger Woods as an example. 29,000 holes doesn't make a 10 in his life. He's got millions of people watching him at the Masters this year, hits a 10, He's the defending champ and he fires five birdies out of six. That is a man that maybe wouldn't have done that when he was 19, but he is showing his mental resilience. Challenges for him are fun. And, and so, you know, you can draw upon people like that. And I don't necessarily have like, I, so I do meditation every day. I write in a gratitude journal every day. It takes me five minutes. When I first started it, it felt like a mountainous job. You know, like it was, it was like, oh my gosh, I don't have time for this. That was years ago. And I've noticed that every day that I do this, I'm, it puts me in a state of contentment to start my day. I test my foundational movements for my strength programs. I, in terms of what's really good for functional foundational fitness, I have people that come to me that don't focus on the small muscles and and they focus on the bigger 
I call them the mirror muscles or a fellow trainers of mine that you focus on the mirror muscles yes. rather than the function. And yeah. so we, you know, I, I test all of my physical fitness out on myself and my loved ones that want to, I don't force yeah. it on anybody. <laughs> and then I do breathing daily. I practice the different breathing techniques that I want to implement with my golfers and to see how it makes me feel. So. Yeah, it's very interesting. So like every day you just, can you just tell me about the, the journal every day? Because I've heard a few yeah. people do that. Yeah. So at the beginning of a day, some people are morning people and some yeah. people like to do it at the end of their day. I don't care if they do it in the middle of their day. My suggestion is always pick morning or evening because it starts your day or ends your day. However, it's if, if you're going to do it better at noon, please don't let me stop you. <laughs> so I think writing three things down in it of what you're grateful for. I want people to write down what their mood is at that moment, how much water they've drank in a day and how much sleep they got and how rested they actually feel. And really what it's doing is it's creating awareness of what you're doing in a day. It makes us way more conscious than unconscious operating all day long. The other thing that I ask in a journal is you, other than gratefulness is I don't want you to write the same thing every single day. I want you to try to expand what you can uh, what you're grateful for <laughs> uh, in your day. There's many things. And and the other thing that I want them to write down is if it's golf specific is what are we working on for the next seven days? What is the goal? You know, and, and is it maybe are we working on putting? Are we working on just getting to the golf course? Or are we working on um, our mood on the golf course and how it affects, you know, how we've done in in that um, process of the week that you've got ahead of you. So it, if it's golf related, I ask them to be setting a seven day golf. What are we working on this week? What do I, fo- what am I focused on? And the other thing that I ask in a day that could go into that 20 minutes is a full body movement, mobility, a little bit of breathing, a little bit yeah. of blood flow, go for a walk, do the deep breathing as you're walking, uh, do a, do a yoga, uh, or, or something I'll have in the future is I'll, I have them for my coaches for my one-on-ones, but I plan Mm -hmm. to be making more where I give them a few different types of warm up techniques that they can take from daily practice inside their house, but it can also translate onto the driving range. So, yeah. So 20 minutes spent a little bit of journaling, a little bit of breathing, understanding what their goals are for the week and what they're working on and assessing their mood tap into yourself how how am i feeling some people don't even know how to answer that they what don't if know you don't, what if they don't feel like they have a good day and then like does it have to only be a positive like what if you haven't got anything positive right what if you said well you know i didn't sleep well and i you know crashed my car this morning and uh something else and happened. i feel like total crap yeah exactly yeah that. Yeah. And so, yes, good. It's a great question because things that you can be grateful for on a bad day, those are the most important days to have gratitude. But I, the mood, the aspect of the mood is the part where I want them to tell me, tell me, but they're telling themselves how they're really feeling on that day. And a suggestion of one thing that they could do when they're in that bad mood state is what are you going to do to get yourself out of it? How, what is the one thing you're going to try to do today that's going to make you feel maybe a little, move the pendulum just a little bit in the direction of feeling better? Happiness is not the only emotion we have as human <laughs> beings. 
So when I'm saying these things, I'm asking people to become better at understanding their limiting beliefs and their positive thought processes that they say to themselves rather than the negative. But sometimes what happens is you, they get the message of, oh my gosh, I have to be positive all the time. And, and that is certainly not what I am saying. What I'm saying is when you're negative, if you can draw upon a few things that make you move towards feeling a little bit more at ease, then you have a superpower that you're developing. You're able to cope. The idea is to create more resilience in these athletes and in life for people. And so, yes, bad days happen probably more than good days sometimes for people, especially in stressful situations. Golf isn't an easy game. Life isn't an easy game sometimes. And we will make it easier or harder based on our perception. So I always say what we, what we think is what we then believe. What we believe is what we perceive. And then what we perceive is what we will receive. And so, and so operating from a place of how do we just get yourself to feel a little bit better in a bad state of mind and a bad mood without ignoring the mood completely. You have to honor that you feel that way because repressing it only brings it up tenfold. Yeah, no, that, that's what I was thinking when, when, when you said find the daily journal, I was thinking, well, I don't, I don't do that. And then more, I did, I did, I was thinking every day it might be, oh, I had a terrible sleep or it would it'd be swings, it'd be ups and downs. I think like, you know, oh, today's Saturday. Yay. That's amazing. I feel really good. <laughs> Monday. Well, Ugh. and journaling me doesn't work. Maybe journaling doesn't work for you. And then, so what we would do is, you know, you could just have a bit of a self check-in moment if you want, you know, like with yourself, but I find writing it down allows you to see it, but I do have people that don't love the, love the journaling aspect. It might feel more annoying for them than positive. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think a lot of people I've, I've known, they, they probably focus more on, on just uh, really just technical technical aspects, you know, like, or, or, and speaking from my experience as well, you know, like I'll see a swing coach or just work on technical things basically. And yeah. Without so much. And all the stuff you talked about, the mental side and, and breathing and journaling and stuff like that. So I think it's a bit of a, a change in mindset. Do you think this is... Um, more of a kind of a modern look at look at how you should then you know, improve compared to the you know previous time. Yes, I would say absolutely. We we have there is a place for a swing coach. There's a place for a strength yeah. and conditioning coach, and there the more modern approach would be that there's a place for someone to help you with your mindset and your mental coaching. And it isn't not one size fits all. There's a yeah. lot of people in the industry that can do that. However, so my goal with a lot of the kids is, so if they're young kids and they want to build trust with me and I'm a long-term prospect for their goals and I stay with them for their whole career, that's one thing. And that's wonderful. But a lot of the goals that I have for people are to get them in a 90-day program with me where we go through all the things, all the habit shifts that you need because there's gifts in behavioral habit shifts. You know, when when you can sit down for 90 days and take a look at your mental and emotional well-being, I don't want to see you again. Once you're through it, we we give you all the tools. I want you to go. I want you to go and be yourself. You know, this can transform people's golf game, but it also transforms the way they perceive their life. And it makes them better husbands, wives, children. 
it makes them better grandchildren, nephews and nieces, you know? And so for me, my goal is get in here. Let's figure out what you're vulnerable to. What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? How can we harness that both of those things and your awareness of them is a brilliant gift. And how do we work towards being a better version of you? Because there's nobody else out there like you. And I don't want you self-discouraging and self-sabotaging yourself. And in 90 days, I will get people to where a, a place where they can survive on their own. My goal is that you don't need me anymore. That's, that is my ultimate goal as a coach. Yeah, that's brilliant. That's awesome. Um, is it, have, you, have you come across people that kind of, um, like it doesn't really work for whatever reason, they just can't commit to, you know, what you're, what you're teaching them or coaching them? Of course. Yeah. We normally figure that out in the 30-minute free <laughs> consultation, but sometimes yeah. they come on for a month and, yeah. and they will, they will, I, will, I will exit them. No problem. Like it doesn't bother me one bit. It, 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 it's, I, I will say what they're not going to say to me, or sometimes they say it to me. It, sometimes I can read very quickly that it's not resonating with them, but I always check yep. in. We always check in after every session and I have a pretty good, my, my superpower on teams was always as growing up, especially on the golf team even was I wasn't the best player, but I was the best player that was their support player. I brought the best out in every teammate of mine because I could identify what their problem was. I could speak their language. My goal is to lead alongside somebody and get them to build enough confidence that they can lead themselves. That's awesome. I mean, so just, just back to you and like more yourself, like um, have have you got any kind of really funny or interesting golf stories? Uh, Normally ask everyone to share one if they have one. Um, interesting golf stories, like, like, like hitting in, hitting in more water in one round than I ever had in my life. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, like I, um, yeah, interesting golf stories. Um, oh, I'll, you know, I'll share one that maybe not interesting, but one that really makes me feel good on the inside was one time my dad wanted to caddy for me. Uh, and I didn't have tournaments that needed caddies. Um, but I was on a tour in Ontario, um, in the middle of my seasons. And one of the holes that we worked on, and I go back to this a lot was I was, it was 125 yard par three and we needed to make a good, I needed to make a good swing on it. And I just remember the way that he took me through some visualization of what we were going to do. Just the dialogue I had was amazing. Um, it was just something that I all of a sudden felt like, you know, like the warmth in the back of my spine. It was like, I just feel like I can, I can hit this shot. I'm going to, I am going to hit this shot. I've never believed so more in putting the, in the hole in my life. And I was two inches away from the hole, (laughs) never got a hole in one in my life, but I hit this ball. And I just remember going, looking at my dad and going, that was all you, you just instilled so much belief in me. And, and it translated into visualization, imagery of what you're going to get done and full and total confidence in me. And I mean, I don't know if I've ever felt that again. I've instilled it in other people, but it, it was just a very cool moment. And my dad and I um, didn't do anything else in golf very often, but it was, it was wild. It felt like I was in a different reality when we were dealing with this. So another group of people I didn't tell you I work with is caddies. Um, and oh, okay, how yeah. they would do this. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so how they would do this uh, in the, for their performance coaching on the golf course with their players. And I've, I've really learned, I, I always tap into that experience to, because it's literally the magic of a caddy and, and that confidant. So. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, the caddy is kind of an underused in the, you know, from the mental side, aren't they sometimes? And um, I mean, they, they might just know, what the good good approaches and you know, calm the players down and stuff like that and stay in the present. But um, yeah, so what what kind of caddies have you worked with and what have you what have you worked on with them? And yeah, so some of the caddies that I've worked with work with kids that are on pro am tours and yep. they need help calming their players down. So mm-hmm. a lot of them come to me and go, Hillary, they don't believe in what you do, and but I but I do. And I recognize that what, and it's a funny conversation that comes out a lot. And I, and I go, yeah, because they, they see their physical is going to execute the shot. So they focus on the physical. They don't recognize they're not listening or they're not recognizing that in order to actually hit the shot, your thought, your brain has to activate the physical. (laughs) So they just weren't taught. And so oh, they come definitely. to me with those, like, they don't want to buy in, but I need them to buy in to this, to what you're doing. So. Oh, that's cool. Nice. And in terms of like the, your kind of like your physical game and your mental game and, and training and stuff like that. And I mean, do you, do you have a kind of sense of what, what portion we should dedicate to each one? Or do you think that they're just all equally as important or is the mental game more important or? I would say that it depends on the athlete. I think it's an individual assessment. I think you need a balance of physical and mental and emotional, you know, as a, I would put a mental and emotional together, but then I hesitate to do that for some people because some people have a great resilient mind, but they don't have total control of their emotions. So I, I, I consider the mental body, physical body and emotional body separate. I think they all need equal amount of time. I do recognize that you can add your mental and physical game in combination. So I like to integrate the mental side into their physical training. So into their driving range experience. As one example I will give you is like, if I have a client that is playing a golf course uh, they know of, they know the golf course ahead of time, which lots of athletes that are competing do. You take that scorecard, I'm sure you've heard this before, you take your, that scorecard of that golf course to the practice range and you, you play the tournament on the, gol- on the driving range. So that's where you're integrating that mental and physical practice into one. So the idea is that they're all being worked on simultaneously yep. all the time. That's the goal. So that it all is, becomes a cohesive one functioning human that has mastered the three aspects. Well, that's cool. So, I mean, where, where have you learned all these techniques? Was that on the programs you've, you've completed or have you developed like your own programs? Are these, are these kind of techniques that are, you know, scientifically out there or are they things that you've just kind of adapted? And I found a lot of the subconscious reprogramming work from working with paramedics that needed a different approach to their psychology. So I followed a lot of psychologists and hypnotherapists that were using these techniques for PTSD, where it can be difficult yeah. to get people to relax and release. And I noticed that with every 
everybody's skyrocketing mental health issues that I started to focus more on what is going on here. You know, why are people obese? Why are they depressed? Why are they, why are we going, uh, why does it seem like society's progressing in a regressive mode than a progressive mode? And so I started to see a lot of that in my physical training when I was in back in school again. And then also with my students, because I was a lot older than the students, I could see that there was a difference in the kids that were going to school versus who I went to school with in 2006, like 2015, I went, whoa, these kids aren't, these kids aren't as well as like in my program, they were because they were on their health and wellness journey. But there was a, there was an aspect to me that was saying like, Hillary, they're, it's their thoughts. Like it is just, it is something it's, it's how they're perceiving their reality. And so I, I was on a journey for a few years of, of researching from a yoga perspective, as well as from a psychological perspective, people like Zen golf that, you know, are in the world. Like they, they were one of the ones that I saw go mainstream with this technique. And I saw some serious results out of people that went to a little bit of hypnosis where they learned how to meditate properly. Meditation doesn't have to be sitting, levitating on the floor. You can go for a walk and have a really easy experience. Or, and if that is considered meditating, laughing is meditating. You know, there's many forms of it. And so I went digging because I know that not everybody is great at stillness, but it does, stillness doesn't mean the body has to be still. You just need the mind to be still. So a lot of people get it like runners get that runner's high because their mind, they're just in bliss. They're, they're not focused on anything, but you know, but the mantra that they're running to. So I, I really am trying to teach that you can integrate mindfulness and this type of work into your everyday life. And it doesn't have to look like the person with their legs crossed rising off the floor. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's very cool. I, I mean, I, you guys I've spoke to, they do, they do meditate. Yeah. But not, I guess from, from what I've seen, um, yeah, it doesn't seem that common. Like, I don't know many people that do that, but I know they're kind of doing more, more of that and seeing the, the results and stuff like, so, I mean, I guess, um, yeah, we'll have to kind of wrap up. I know you've got other calls, but um, if, if you've got any, like a, a kind of like a key takeaway that I, I can take off now and when, when kind of key thing I can, you can leave me with. Yeah. Slow down, take the golf and life yep. one step, one breath, at a time. You know, if you can learn to slow down the pace of your mind and how you perceive your reality, the better you will become in life and in your golf performance. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's, that's really good advice. That is. I'll, I'll definitely yeah, take that away. Yeah, there's some really interesting stuff there. And no, thanks, thanks very much for explaining it all to me. And uh, yeah, there's some amazing things to learn there. And um, yeah, I think we'll definitely see a lot more of that coming through with players now that they are definitely looking into all these techniques and seeing all the benefits and stuff. So, yeah, Absolutely. So thanks very much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. And uh, thank you. Talking. Yeah, cool. Jack, right. it was a pleasure today. So it was really nice to be on with you. I really enjoyed this. I appreciate your time and, and the opportunity to speak. It's been great. Brilliant. Okay. Thanks, then. Take care. Bye.